0: All right. Merry December 10th. Such a great day, isn't it? Magical thing of snow out there to cause probably accidents. Don't we all love snow? You guys, yeah, it's good. It's great. Um, So, uh, you know what I love? I know you all care. That's why you came here this morning. Um, uh, I love Black Friday. I really do. I love Black Friday, right? Because it's the only time of the year that I would ever think about buying three hair curlers. Because when you can buy a hair curler for 10% of the price, it's like, why wouldn't I buy this, right? And you like, scroll through the Amazon deals, and it's the only time of the year that, I mean, we don't have a pet, but dog beds for like 17% of their normal price seem alluring in that moment. And you try and figure out, what would I do with this thing? But actually, I don't, I don't really love Black Friday all that much uh, for the deals. Uh, and this is a confession, all right? Uh, I love Black Friday for the post-Black Friday videos. Um, and you all are like, I want to laugh, I don't want to laugh, uh, but it's okay. Uh, I spent nine minutes in the kitchen yesterday watching Black Friday videos. Uh, so anyway, and that was all in sermon preparation, right? It wasn't any like, ah, I'm interested in this. Uh, it, but it is quite sad, it's very sad. It's not, I don't watch it for for the humor of it as much as it's like, man, this is messed up. This is really messed up. And and truly, you know, I I did watch it so that I would have a better understanding of what has taken place. And it is really sad because these videos are like Walmart's version of Jerry Springer show. And how many of you have seen the Jerry Springer show? And you're not raising your hands very high. It's like, (laughs) yeah. So I don't think Jerry Springer's show is around anymore. Uh, But basically, it was like you think of the most amount of chaos. There's like, have you ever gone and played bingo before? That's safer, right? Uh, Not even for money, Okay, Like second grade bingo, whatever. But bingo, right? You reach in, you grab a, a letter, number, right? And you get five in a row. Like, you win. Jerry Springer, they put, like, the most amount of conflict that they could possibly do into this thing. They reach in, grab a thing. It's like, oh, yes, this scenario seems good. Let's put that here. And let's bring his nine wives here and the three porn stars that he's been... Like, let's bring them all on stage together and talk, right? It's like, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. And that's what Black Friday ends up being, right? You get these people who are losing their minds killing each other, uh, almost literally, right, over veggie steamers. I, I don't even know what a veggie steamer is. But, like, this one woman has three of them. Her son was carrying one. This woman comes in, like, runs up to the kid, grabs it. The woman dropped one of them to go after the kid. Then the, the woman tried to grab the other one. I'm like, this is, this is mayhem. This is mayhem. This is what Black Friday has turned into. And the really wild one is... Um, these two women uh, duking it out over 23-inch televisions. I mean, like, like literally going out fighting. And as one of them is getting arrested, uh, she's still trying to like hold onto the TV with her knees. Like the cops are going to be like, oh yeah, it's okay, we'll bring that along. This is Black Friday. And so I'm, I'm mocking them right? As I'm watching this, I'm mocking them thinking like, what a joke. Like what a joke this is. Why would you want a 23 inch TV that bad? Right? Computer monitors are bigger than 23 inches. Like, but then it occurred to me, what if, what if that deal on the 23 inch TV was the first opportunity they had at that? What if they had been waiting so long for this deal because they haven't had a TV? They go other places to watch things. There are people that don't have TVs, not just by choice. And so what if they had been waiting for that? And, and that last grab was like, I, I've been waiting so long. Our family's been anticipating this for so long. Finally, we have a shot at this. And now it's being taken away, and so am I, in handcuffs. I don't know if that's the, the scenario or not, but what if that was true? You see, what happens with us as humans is when our hearts are captured by something, we will stop anyone that gets in the way of us getting what we desire. When our heart is captured, we will stop at nothing to get what we actually want. We'll spend whatever it takes, in fact, for us to be able to get that. We will fight people in Walmart. We will be made fun of on video. It doesn't matter because our end in sight is getting and spending our lives whatever way we need to, to get what we want. So that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. Uh, Not so much Black Friday, uh, but we're going to be speaking about this. um, Well, there it is, spending less, all right? But to get there, we're going to go through Matthew 2. Um, This guy named Herod. Let me tell you about Herod uh, Herod was a ruler in Palestine, uh, under the authority of Rome, uh, but he had some autonomy in how he ruled and he got to do what was best. And historians say he was actually a very successful leader. Uh, he was ruling and reigning in Palestine for 34 years and, uh, brilliantly kept the peace in a very hostile place, right? If you want to know if hostility is still happening in Palestine, Um, look at Trump's decision to move certain offices back into Jerusalem, right? A little bit of tension going on there. That's always been the case. There's always been tensions happening in Palestine, and yet somehow this Herod dude is keeping the peace no problem. So how does he do this? How does he do it? Well, simple answer is he rebuilt the temple, He rebuilt the temple for the people of Israel, the people of God dwelling in the land that he was ruler over. He was not a follower of God, but yet he rebuilt the temple for them. Why would he do that? Well, to keep them happy, to keep them happy. Because uh, a happy wife is a happy life. That just sounds better than like a happy country is a happy leader, right? Same thing though, right? Translates over. Um, that if the people are happy, then I'm going to be left alone. If the people are happy, Rome is going to come in, do their little due diligence, how's everything going? Man, everyone's really pumped, right? Building projects, it's amazing, everyone is happy. This was the key to success for Herod, was he kept the religious happy by building them a temple and he kept Rome happy by keeping the people happy. So he must have just been this really nice guy who looked out for the benefit of everyone else because he spent like a maniac to build this thing. It cost a lot of money. So he must be a super nice guy. Why would he do this? Well, when we find out more about Herod, we actually find out he's not all that nice of a guy. In fact, he built this temple for himself. He built this temple for the happiness of others so that he could be happy because Herod's deepest desire was that he would matter as a king. That people would look at Herod and say, wow, this guy is legit. This guy matters. This guy is important. This guy is brilliant. This guy is successful. He also wanted for everyone to know how successful he was because he built seven palaces that were larger than Caesar, right? Caesar's king of the world. And you have this little guy, Herod, in this land of Palestine, who's building seven palaces, not just one, seven that are larger than Caesar. He thought he was very important. And he was a good leader because he knew if he kept the people happy, then he could pursue his happiness and not have to deal with them. You see, he was willing to spend whatever it took to get his ultimate desire of mattering of being able to look in whatever type of mirror he would have and say, you are successful, you matter, people love you, that you matter. And isn't this the message of Christmas, right? You're like, how did you get that from that? But this really is the underlying theme of Christmas. We find it in Herod. Spend so that you can be happy, Spend so that you can be happy. Not spend so that others can be happy. Sure, you want for them to be happy, but why do you want for them to be happy? So that you can be happy. What happens if you spend money, buy a gift, you hand it to your child or a friend, they're like, what a piece of garbage. What, what does that do for you? Right, you're, you're unhappy. Why didn't they like my gift? What, what was going on? What, why don't they like me? What's a deeper issue? Right? You're not happy if they're not happy. So this is the way that Christmas runs. We spend so that we can be happy. We spend because in a way we're just like Herod. It's encouraging. So let's go to the text. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now Matthew is the life The account of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 followers. This is an account written after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe in that. And you're like, I don't believe that. That's okay. We're so glad you're here with us. And we've been praying that you would believe it. Because all of us in the room who do believe it, at one point didn't believe this. All right, Until age 23, I didn't believe this. At 23, I believed it went from not believing to believing in a very short amount of time. So I'm very encouraged that, that anyone can believe this. So Matthew 2, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We're not gonna get into all of the details of Jesus's birth this morning, but it was humble circumstances, right? Jesus wasn't built in one of, or wasn't built, wasn't born another B word, Uh, wasn't born in one of the the palaces of Herod. He was born uh, very humbly, not great circumstances. And then after the birth of Jesus, sometime later, right? Sometimes in our minds, we think like, you know, Jesus is there. Shepherds come, which they did come right away. And then somehow uh, these, these other people show up, these magi, these leaders, um, and that it was all kind of the same night. This would have been later on. It wouldn't have been right after the birth of Jesus. But Jesus is born, and then these Eastern pagan, um, you know, we're not sure if they're philosophers, astronomers, astrologers, Okay, but these guys from an Eastern culture, probably from a ruling or priestly class, they come and they show up where Jesus is staying. And he would have been a child at this point. So, like, humble circumstances, and then rulers of the world come to find you. This isn't normal. This doesn't just happen. You know, we've had four kids, and we've never had a prime minister be like, hey, uh, so I heard you guys had a baby. You know, I'm, I'm here to, to Canadianize it, or whatever they do, right? Um, never. Never. We never had any ruler or authority come and say anything about our child that was super special. But when Jesus is born, these rulers from a far and distant land come and speak about who he is. Why would they come? Why would they come for this child? Well, they blame it on the stars. They blame it on the stars. They said, Where is he? When they show up, they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And it wasn't one of those cheesy, like, buy a star program, right? Yeah, we have documented here that at one point, someone bought a star in the name of Jesus, and so we're here because his star was speaking to us. No, it's not that. It's that something was going on in the cosmos that was declaring to the rest of the world something special is happening. And, and if we think about it and we personalize the, the, everything, then the star is saying, our creator is in the world. And we can't help but shimmer. We can't help but show what's going on. What's amazing is I have no idea how these, these magi, these, these leaders from a different land, figured out that this star was about the king of the Jews. This is quite profound, that God was somehow speaking to these other people about what was going to take place. And when they come, what do they come ready to do? They're ready to worship him. They're ready to worship him, to get down on their knees and bow before this child who has been born king of the Jews. Not even king of our people. They're recognizing that, that to be a king of the Jews is to be more than just a king of this little people group that this was to be a significant king, a king who was going to have rule and reign over everything. They're here to worship the true and living king. And what's interesting in this account is that they find the king. It's just the wrong king. Chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. When Herod, the king, notice this. I don't think this is a mistake that Matthew is calling Herod the king, while showing that Jesus is the king. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. All Jerusalem with him as well. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Mm, That's fun. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So it says here that when he heard this, he was troubled. Trepidatious is the word. Fearful, like shaking over a baby. Why was Herod losing his mind over a baby? because he saw that there was a threat over what he had spent his whole life to gain. This whole life of pursuing mattering, mattering, whatever that means, to matter, to be important, to be seen by others as great, and to be able to be happy in and of himself, that was threatened by this child who was born and who foreign kings were coming to talk about. And I'm sure that you understand what Herod was going through, because I do. We understand this when we're working at our job and we're climbing up the ladder of success, and all of a sudden, some guy comes in, and or gal comes in, and they they seem more equipped and more well liked by the boss than than we are. And it seems like they're tracking at a faster pace than, than we are. And all of a sudden, we see everything we've been investing in potentially being lost. To this person, or we own a company, and the new company moves in to town, and they're our competitor, and they actually do a better job than we do. What's going to happen? Or a new person moves to a city and joins your circle of friends, and all of a sudden your circle of friends don't want to hang out with you as much. Or you're a child, and yay, new baby is born. But if you're the older sibling, what does that mean? You get less attention. Right, and all of a sudden, you need to figure out how do I destroy this child? You seen the movie Baby Boss? Right? I've seen all kinds of horrible movies. Uh, right, this being, uh, it was okay, but what happens? What happens? Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, let me ruin it for you. Um, so, older child tries to destroy younger child. Because all of a sudden, mom and dad give all the attention, right? We understand what it's like to be Herod. Now, we're not a king. We don't have all these resources. But we understand at a mini level that we don't want to lose what we've worked so hard for. And so in those moments where we think we're going to lose it, what do we do? We double down our spending. Or if you're, uh, what was the ice skater thing? This is a long time ago. Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, right? What do you do? You go and break someone's leg. Well, I guess I'm going to be the champion. I think she sucks so bad she still wasn't champion, right? Or did she? I don't remember how the story went. What a bad analogy. Like, why would I use that analogy? But I don't even know the story. (laughs) And then when I talked to Nancy about, no, I don't know her. Um, But in those moments, in those moments where we're threatened to lose, what we've, been, what we've been fighting for. We double down our spending. We work extra hard because we're gonna show the boss or we wanna hang out more with the friends because we wanna show those friends that we're better than this new person or we wanna give more deals because we wanna be the better company, right? We double down our spending so that we don't lose what we've gained, right? What a horrible feeling it is inside of us. And in fact, it can drive us mad, it can drive us mad. Listen to, to Matthew 2, uh, 7 and 8. Uh, yeah, there we go. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Right? This is after he heard what was happening. Summoned them secretly and ascertained from them what, the time, what time the star had appeared. And he, said to, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Is that what's really moving in his heart? Uh, No, this is what he wanted to do. Verse 12, uh, after they go and see Jesus, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they departed their own country by another way. Herod's mad. What does he do? Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Right, he goes bonkers, He goes nuts. Man, these guys played me. Now I need to remove all of the children so that I make sure that I wipe out whatever child it was that was supposed to actually be the true king. He spent the lives of others for himself. Later, he really goes mad. He has one of his wives killed. I think he had 10 of them. One of them killed. And then he had three of his sons killed because he thought he thought that they were trying to usurp him and then people hated Herod so much and he wanted to matter so much that his desire was when he was getting ready to die and according to tradition, he died a horrific death, very painful diseases. He wanted to gather all kinds of leaders together into a place in Jericho. And as he was dying, he wanted them all to be slaughtered so that all of Israel would mourn the death of Herod. Luckily, his, I think it was his son and his sister that Refused to obey him in that. But this is what a nut job he was. His mattering drove him mad. He spent his life trying to matter as a king. And yet the the sad and tragic piece of this is that in his pursuit to try and matter as a king, he missed the fact that during his reign as king, the real and true king of everything entered into the world. He missed it because he was so focused on me. I matter. I deserve this. And so this is a tragic part of our lives as well, that we are just like Herod in so many ways. So many ways. We spend time and money to matter. We spend time and money to matter. Christmas becomes about you and me. Isn't that sad? And isn't it sad that I'm assuming that you're tracking with me. You're like, oh yeah, I I have bought presents and spent time with people so that they would leave me alone, that they wouldn't critique me. um, And so that I could just have a good holiday. It's just easier to buy them a gift, let them shut up during the day so that we can just get on with our meal and then leave in peace, right? And I know that's so many people's family story. But that means that Christmas is less about the first coming of Jesus and more about your peace, which isn't a real peace because it can't last. Boxing day comes and, and you, it's a literal boxing match in your house, right? Like you can't make that peace last. And Christmas is exhausting for so many of us. Why? It should be this very chill time. It should be this time that, like, what did you do today? Well, um, I put on sweatpants, so that was good. Um, made it downstairs, and, uh, and we've been watching movies and took naps, woke up, uh, had chocolate. Uh, kids had hot cocoa. I had a beer. Uh, we took naps again. We went, like, that's epic. I'm not exhausted, right? This should be very chill. And yet, so many of us, we're exhausted with Christmas, Because it becomes this hamster wheel of performance for us. That we have to keep everything up. I hope I'm not ruining your Christmas right now. Um, But Christmas is exhausting because we have to aim to impress people or keep impressing people. What really sucks when you throw a great Christmas party or give a great Christmas gift is that next year, they're going to expect more. Oh, I remember what you got me last year. I would say that to my Uncle Tom. My Uncle Tom, you are the man with Christmas presents. I can't wait to see what you're going to get me this year. And he, he would do this because he's a good uncle. He would say, Well, just write it down and I'll get you whatever you want. <laughs> Great, makes it easy, right? But we're exhausted because we try and impress or we have to keep impressing. And at some point, we're going to disappoint either the people that we're trying to impress or we'll be disappointed with Christmas altogether. And we'll see that December 25th date and joy and Jesus. And you're like, ah, can we just move past this? Because we've lost the joy of this time. We've lost the joy of the first coming of Jesus because Christmas has become all about us. There's a guy, uh, we were supposed to go see this house of lights last night. Um, and, and I, when Jess told me about it first, I'm like, we're going to go see someone's house. And she's like, yeah, that sounds weird, huh? Like maybe it's a whole street. I'm like, okay. So we looked up this house and it's legit. This house last year, he had 15,000 lights. This year has over a hundred thousand lights. He calls it frozen land on the hour from five to 10. There's like this full blown, uh, music light show that goes on. So we're going to hit it up soon, but I feel bad for that guy. Because he's, he's killing it, right? Frozen land, so many people coming to see this. What happens next year? If he does just the same level, it's going to be like, yeah, it's kind of what he did last year. It's like, that's 100,000 lights. This is amazing. It's like, yeah, I've seen it already. That he has to keep impressing us. But Christmas is not supposed to be about us impressing other people or keeping that, that image of impressing other people. Christmas is supposed to be about us being impressed. Christmas is supposed to be about us being impressed, not with the, the gifts that we receive under our tree, but we're supposed to be impressed with Jesus. And I don't think that I have this in here, no. So let me read it. Matthew 2, verse 9 through 11. So listen to this. After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. I mean, it's like stars moving. Jesus is moving the universe as a child until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, And worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first coming of Jesus for these for these wise men that weren't God followers wasn't about what what they could receive, right? They were just impressed. They were impressed. They weren't trying to impress a child. Like, hey, child, do you know who I am? Hey, little boy, I'm a philosopher. Say, astrologer, say that, right? They weren't trying to impress him. Instead, they fall down on their face and they worship this child. What an awkward moment. But they saw something in this child, unlike anyone else that they had ever met before, that they were willing to prostrate themselves before him. And to bring gifts, and I've heard some of the silliest sermons on, oh, well, gold means this, and frankincense means this, so I'm not going to do that. They brought really expensive gifts. Now, as a child, this would be lame. Uh, As a child growing up, my grandparents, uh, they had a lot of grandkids, and they would give us all at the same time, they would pass out an envelope to us. And we all just kind of rolled our eyes, right? And inside the envelope was a $50 U.S. savings bond. Now, $50 U.S. is like 4,000 Canadian, okay? But still, as a child, it wasn't all that impressive, right? And so we'd open it up, and we're like, oh, good. Wait seven years to redeem. Here, Mom, I'm going to go watch football again, right? It wasn't all that exciting, At least they could have got like McDonald's gift certificates or movie or anything other than a savings bond. But I'm sure when they bring gold and frankincense, Jesus wasn't like, oh good, myrrh, this is amazing. I'm so happy, right? But it wasn't so Jesus could play with it. It was showing the worth of Jesus. That we're bringing some of the finest gifts that we could bring from our country to show the worth, a little piece of the worth of this one. And we're demonstrating how all people should respond to this one in worship. And this is the good news. The good news is not that you and I are like Herod and we have these hearts that are are prone to, to walk in ways that are all about us. We're prone to hijack an entire holiday that everyone celebrates and make it about ourselves. That's not the good news. The good news is that there's a king that knows that we're like that and he came anyway. And he didn't come to destroy us. He wasn't like this ninja fire guy that when they came, he's like, I know you're pagans, like smoting them out, right? He receives the worship. The good news is that the true king has come that anyone from any place, any time can worship. He's a king for everyone. There's this, it's a nice song, but it's a bit cheesy. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world Red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? That was sung with my deepest joy. Um, But it's that Jesus is not a king for one color. Jesus is not a king for one nation. Jesus is not a king for one area of the world. Jesus isn't a king for the West. Jesus is the king of, of everything. And he will receive worship from anyone who will come. And you don't have to bring gold, frankincense, or myrrh. In fact, you just have to bring your Herod heart with you and say, Jesus, I want to make this all about me. This is what I'm giving you for Christmas. And he'll receive it and he'll take his heart and he'll give it to you. This is what Jesus does. This is why he came. See, the good news is the true king has come. And the good news is that his plan will not be thwarted by anyone. Herod wanted to kill him. Herod wanted to have him removed. Look at what God does. Matthew two thirteen through 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. He arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. Now, verse 19 says this. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Herod, guys like Herod cannot get in the way of what God wants to do. And this is great news, that you cannot screw up God's plan of redemption. Isn't that good news? You can't, yeah, because I am a screw-up. You're more of a screw-up than me. I know that, but listen, no, I'm just joking. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Uh, we are screw-ups, and we can't get in the way of what God wants to do. Let me illustrate that just for a second out of scripture. Peter was a follower of Jesus. When they came to get Jesus in the garden before they crucified him, Peter pulls out a sword, chops off an ear of this guy named Melchus ear falls on the ground. You know, the passion of the Christ, if you've seen that movie, it's like this ringing thing. I don't know how it all went down, but can you imagine like, Peter, you're screwing up redemption, man. Malchus has no opportunity to see or hear Jesus now. What does Jesus do? He stoops down on the ground, picks up the ear, puts it back on Malchus and says, Peter, put away your sword. What do you think Malchus did? Man, Jesus is legit. Jesus is a healer who can, who can restore. Did Peter get in the way of redemption? Well, his actions seem that way, but what does Jesus do? He trumps, uh, I hate using that word, um, he makes it better, better. You just can't sometimes. It's such a good word, it's been ruined. Ah! Someone needs to copyright that word before he does, right? Um, but he, he trumps it, I'm gonna go for it. He trumps Peter's action, puts it back on, and... I don't know, I'd want to explore Jesus at that point. This is what happens. You can't screw up redemption. You can't. Jesus comes in humility. He comes in humility as this good king, but he lacks nothing. Jesus as a child wasn't like, man, I, I, I hope that someone brings me myrrh. Right? That's the only thing I'm lacking. That's the only thing on my list for this year. right? He lacks nothing born in the humblest of circumstances, yet lacks nothing at all. He didn't need gifts. The gifts were a response to who he was. And what if that's the way Christmas was? What if that's the way Christmas became for us? What if gifts at Christmas were a response to him, not the guilt, fear, or happiness that we're seeking out of a response from someone else? That seems like it would change the game a little bit. What if, now this would be a really long Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. I don't know when you guys give out gifts, but imagine if every gift, Jess, I think we're going to try this this year. This is brilliant. These are my words, so write them down, Jess. We got to do this. But this gift, this gift is in response to God as our great giver, right? This gift isn't just for you. This gift is, is a gift to God as well. This is our response to who he is. And we get to respond to him by giving to you. Now, we probably won't do that because that will get lost on our children at this point. But what if the giving of Christmas gifts around the tree or around fire or around the mountain or wherever you do it, right? What if it was all worship to the Lord, not to that person and their happiness or unhappiness in what we give to them? What if we were able to release and, and we were free from whatever response was given, right? This is to the Lord. I'm giving to the Lord. So Jesus comes in humility, lacking nothing, and giving everything. And what if we entered Christmas that way? The second way that Jesus came was he came to give himself away. He came to give himself away. Galatians 4, 4-7 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, I love the other Black Friday I love the other Black Friday, the one where literally the world became dark. We call it Good Friday. We call it good because of what was being accomplished, but it was literally Black Friday. That the star that that, that was telling the way to Jesus' birth, right? Where Jesus was at the time as, as a child was wooing the world toward him, now had been quieted because the creator, instead of being brought into the world, is now being removed from the world. But I love this Black Friday because of of what happened. You see, Amazon holds nothing up to the deal that was offered to us on this Black Friday. What was offered to us as, as our rescuer, our king, hung on the cross was forgiveness, freedom, life, value, meaning, purpose. You can matter now. You can matter now. I'm taking all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your sin, all of your rebellion so that you can matter. And you don't have to fight over this. I'm not putting redemption on this little block like Walmart does, opening it up and being like, let's watch them fight over it. No, I'm offering it to everyone. All tongues, tribes, colors. Everyone is invited to this gift that the Lord is giving. The good news is that Jesus fought sin and death for you. He's done it. It's all done. There's no more fight left. You have to add nothing. You don't need to spend a dime. Pennies don't even exist, but if they did, you don't need to spend a penny anymore in Canada on fighting this. Because Jesus fought it all for you. And what the cross screams at us is that you matter. You might not matter to anyone else. You might not get invited to anything else at this time of year, but you matter to Him. And he's come in, he's the Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to your table and he says, Even if no one else shows up, I'm here with you. And you lack nothing. You lack nothing. You matter. You see, under his tree that he was hung upon, now there are gifts of forgiveness and life for any who will come to him. And so the message this year is receive that, receive it again. Receive it again. Enjoy it. Savor it. Savor the reality of the person of Jesus. Don't be so obsessed on on the spending your life so that you can make everyone else happy. Enjoy Jesus. And it sounds so strange and mystical, but it is. It is mystical. How do you enjoy Jesus? Well, you spend time with him. You say, I I seem to enjoy Christmas gifts more than I enjoy you. Help me enjoy you more than everything else. I pray this prayer over my kids every night. I say, help them to love you more than anything else in the world. I'm begging the Lord that he would do that in my kids. I'm begging the Lord he would do that in us as a church, that we wouldn't be running at the world with hands to grab whatever we can, but look at what the Lord has brought. We can serve in this way. So the good news for us too is that he's alive. Black Friday didn't end in Black Friday and it it ended in Resurrection Sunday and the Lord is coming back again. He's coming back again. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. So you don't need to spend anything to matter. This is what Christmas says, real Christmas. You don't need to spend anything to matter. God did all the spending so that you would matter eternally. Jesus spent his life so that you would matter. Jesus spent his life so that you could be brought into the family of God as a son. And if you're like, well, I'm a woman, that offends me when you say son only. Well, here's what they're trying to get at is that in this day, only sons received inheritance. And so for all of you who are daughters of God in first century Israel, you have the same right as a son. Everything is equal in the kingdom of God. And this is good news. So let me, let me apply this and then we're going to have kids sing for us this morning, which is great. Spending less. Spending less. I want for us as a church to consider spending less. We saw Herod who spent his whole life on mattering. And in the end he dies. And we kind of mock him for what he went after but we see in our own hearts a bit of Herod. A bit of Herod. So I want you to consider spending less. We spend tons of money on us, on us. And what does this lead to? It leads us to miss that Jesus came for the forgotten. So much of our Christmas time is just about our family. And we so often forget about the forgotten. And so we go and do things like we go and volunteer to a soup kitchen or we give gifts um, to, to some organization and they distribute it. And and those are good. But what if we thought very differently about this? What if we potentially took our budget for Christmas time, whatever that is, uh, $100, your student, like $4, show up with like dollar gifts for your parents, Uh, whatever it is, $1,000. What if you took a quarter of that amount and you bought gifts for the forgotten in your neighborhood? Uh, one of the things that, that we do as a family, which is a way to introduce ourselves to people when we move in and see who's also moved in the neighborhood, is we make fudge. Now, fudge is so inexpensive, peanut butter and sugar. That's basically it, right? So good, so good for you, right? And we distribute that to, to the neighbors. And, and as we're going, it's like, hey, it, this is for you. And, and neighbors will say to us, we don't get anything for Christmas. Like, we get nothing, this is the only thing we get. And you're like, you're not forgotten, we just want to let you know the Lord hasn't forgotten you. So what if you, what if you took a quarter of your budget and you didn't spend it on fudge, though that would be a good investment, um, but you brought gifts to the people in your neighborhood. Now for, for you, for our kids, and maybe for you as you receive presents, you probably forget what you got last year. But do you know who won't forget? The forgotten. They won't forget that you came to bring them something. They won't forget that that you came to tell them, hey, you're not forgotten, you're loved. We love you. We bought this, made this because of our our care for you. Another idea is to throw a huge neighborhood Christmas party for those who don't have Christmas, right? And people are like, well, that's not my religion. I'm like, it's not your religion to come into a house with a tree decorated uh, and with food. Like, that sounds like a good deal to me, right? Like, we're not gonna be in here uh, singing songs about Jesus or something. Like, just come in. Come in and enjoy company at this time. Throw a really good party. Use your budget to do do that. Consider supporting gospel ministries as a family instead of just receiving more stuff. I mean, there's $450 billion spent on Christmas just in North America every year. Do you know how much money it will take to remove all the dirty, contaminated water in the entire world? One-time gift of $10 billion. I'm not a a mathematician, but that's like 145th, I think. I like fractions, though. Uh, 145th of what we spend. So even for you personally, if you're like, okay, I'm gonna take 145th of my money and I'm going to give it to water, right? Because I wanna see that change. I don't know. But I think that we have to take the focus off of spending to, to receive happiness for us and that we get to be the people of God who say, man, I have everything I need. Now, Lord, show me the forgotten. Show me the people who don't have family. Show me the people who, who have things that I can actually meet their needs for. Stop doing Dollar Tree gift exchanges and, and pull together that money. Like every year at Nehemiah's school, he goes and it's like, oh, bring your $2 gift. I'm like, that's not even to make it home right? $2 gifts are garbage that's not going to make it home. Why don't we all pull together $2 and as a school, you know, build a well somewhere, right? Let's think differently about this, that we don't need to spend more on us, that we can spend less on us, and we can spend the resources that God has given to us and and share it with those who have nothing. Now, next week, we're going to learn how we can give more, all right, that will be our focus next week. So spend less, give more. They go together, but they're, they're different, all right? So Jordan, will, will, Jordan Weeks will be preaching. He'll be sharing with us ideas about how we can do that. But here's the heart of what I'm saying. I'm wrapping up, trying to. Heart of what I'm saying is don't spend to receive. Don't spend so that you receive. Don't buy into the put the I back in gift. That's garbage, all right? That's religion, People say, I hate religion, but they buy into it every single day. It's just consumer religion. Don't give to receive. The gospel says you've received everything from the Lord that you need. Everything. Everything. This isn't about us being stingy, but about us being more generous. Don't be guilted by the consumer culture away from celebration of Jesus. Oh, you only bought that for your family? Don't be guilted away. Say, yeah, but we're wholeheartedly celebrating Jesus because ultimately, it's all about Jesus. So I'm gonna end with this. It's all about Jesus. Let me get excited about a passage, then we'll be done, all right? I promise. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, even in Christmas, that he would be the star of everything, that he would be the one that your family gets up early to be excited about. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He's taking over the world. He's taking over the world. He's renewing everything. This is what he has set out to do. And we talk about finances and spending, and we've done this before, but our finances become fiscal ammunition toppling over the gates of hell. So let's be more wise with how we spend. Let's not spend for our egos. Let's not spend for our little kingdoms. Let's take the resources that are already the Lord's and say, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to be be a blessing to the nations because of what you've given to me? So I'm gonna pray. I hear the children lurking. uh, And then they're gonna come in and they're gonna help us to respond. So Jesus, thank you that you are the great God in, in everything we find our life in you. Christmas is all about you. Advent is all about you. Our songs are all about you. The Bible is all about you. Our breath is all about you. Our giving is all about you. Everything is all about you. Would you take our Herod hearts and would you destroy them? And would you give us your heart, Jesus? We want your heart. Would you cause us to be, to be faithful lovers of our neighborhood? Would we distribute your goods in a way that honors you as our true king? So we love you and we need you for everything, amen.